Hey, I gotta tell you guys about something, and I'm really excited to talk about this because I got a brand new front door lock. And it's not just any lock, it's a Eufy video lock. You might be thinking, what's the big deal, Chael? Well, okay, I'm gonna tell you. First off, it is sleek. I mean, it's a very big deal. My father used to build houses. My whole life, I've known how important curb appeal is. I used to be in real estate. When I show somebody a house, the front door is the very first thing you see. This thing is a piece of art. It truly is, and it's such a good looking piece of hardware. It instantly upgraded my front door. I was excited about the functionality. So not only do I get an instant makeover with a piece of art, you now have a different level of protection. It's a smart lock. It's got a 2K camera with audio and doorbell all in one. Most competitors are either just a camera or a smart lock. The Eufy Video Lock has both plus a doorbell and it can all be controlled via an app, which makes things so convenient. I hate when I hear the doorbell ring and I'm comfortable inside. I gotta get up, go to the door, just to find out it's a delivery man who dropped the package and is already long gone. The Eufy Video Lock now allows me to avoid all of that. I can just peek at the app. I can even talk to him or hear him talk back to me. Also, my wife and I travel a lot. It's an added level of security at my front door and it makes me feel a little bit more at ease. It was very easy to install. No, there are no monthly fees for the security video storage. The battery is rechargeable and each charge lasts about four months. The Eufy Lock is fantastic and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. Do that by going to Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you gain complete control of your door. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What's happening guys? Happy Friday and thank you for joining another special episode of your welcome guys. The UFC is back tomorrow and at the end of the show I'm going to give you my official curse prediction of Rosenstrike versus Volkov but before all that I want to tell you about the keys to beating John Jones and I'll also say who I think George Mosvall should target in his next fight and to kick off today's show I think it's appropriate that old Uncle Chael weighing on the story that's been dominating the headlines the past few weeks. Oh, the unanimous decision, unanimous decision of the week goes to Johnny Depp. Now, was that fun for everybody? I mean, I thought it was the best thing on TV. I will admit TV's been a little bit down. It wasn't something I would think that I would normally enjoy, but boy, there, there was a back and forth there and that turned into something, right? You got these two actors, you've got a performance going on, not to mention you've got the drama and the lawsuits and everything else. It was interesting though. My prediction as the jury was deliberating, right? They told us, they said the, the jury has reached a result, but then there was an hour. We'll read it to you, the audience. And we, had, we all had to wait an hour. So everybody's throwing their predictions out. And my prediction was it's going to go to Johnny Depp. 
But my prediction was not based in an understanding of the law. There is nothing, and you, I think most of you saw it the same way, or I think most of you are happy with the outcome. I say that just social media tends to lean towards him. Media outlets that covered it tend to lean towards him. Joe Rogan went as far as to play a clip of Amber Heard and declare, you can tell she is lying. No, you can't. Of course you can't. But when I share with you that I, I do think that people were happy with this outcome as a broad stroke, it's why I predicted that Johnny was going to win. Because don't forget, if you're in front of a judge who understands the law, there was not one single thing, and you could go through it line by line, there was not one single thing that Heard did that was not protected by the Constitution. There was no crime there. Period. Broad stroke, but you will not find it. You got, you got lawyers in the family? Go ask them. They will all agree with what I just said, but that, that wasn't who was testing this. A jury was testing this. So you can get the verdict and you can get favor with a jury for reasons that are totally outside of the law. Now, the jury is going to be instructed, this is not a good game to play. But I don't believe that Johnny Depp was ever trying to get $50 million from her in the first place, and I don't think you guys believe that either. I don't know that Johnny Depp was expecting to win a judgment at any point when this whole thing went on, just because it was so hard to prove. But he was expecting to come on and tell his side and make sure that he gained favor with the public, of which he succeeded in spite of the result. Now, the only reason I share this with you, when I tell you that the jury, if they like you, they can see it for you. If they don't like her, they can see it for you. If it's anywhere in between, you're not in front of a judge who understands the law. You're in front of a jury. It's very different. So what you're trying to do and the human elements that can come into, they're very different. And it went in the side of Johnny Depp. Now, I read a book, and it was a number of years ago. This was a public thing. I believe they even made a short movie about it. It captivated the news, but there was also a book. I read the book. It had to do with Scott Peterson. Does that name ring a bell to you guys? Scott Peterson, right this very second, is in solitary confinement, has not interacted with a human being in around 10 years off the top of my head, and is on death row in California. He's on death row in California, which is enough time goes by, they will execute him. They will execute him for the murder of his pregnant wife, Lacey. That's a problem by the law because they can't prove Lacey was killed. Like if you don't have a body in a murder trial, you have a problem as the prosecution. There was a period of time where there was no prosecution if you didn't have the body. So you see the problem with that. And so they found a way to work through that. Like over time with science and forensics and enough speculative, enough reasonable belief, they did start trying people. They did start convicting people, absent of a body. This was very different. I don't want any of you to hear me and think that I'm pleading a case for Scott Peterson. I'm not in the least. I am speaking to the legality of having somebody on death row because in this particular case, they did have the body. It wasn't a case of they couldn't find the body, but they were just sure this was more than a disappearance. They had the body. Effectively proved that she was dead. They could not prove she was murdered. There wasn't a toxicology, by example. 
There wasn't blunt force trauma to the skull, as many of you guys will see if you ever watch a simpic, simple episode of Forensic Files. There was not stab wounds. There was not bullet wounds. They could not prove that she had been murdered. They had the body. But a guy is sitting on death row for murdering her. It's a tremendous problem than the legal system, and nobody stepped forward for him. Nobody that could step forward, that could review that, that could test the constitutionality. Nobody has done this. The story's not going to change. Nobody's going to. Just sharing for you, the law as you think that you know it gets very different when you go in front of a jury. Our guy, Kane. That's an interesting one for me. Garagos, his attorney, is a very well-known attorney. How good is he? I don't know. He's well-known, and those don't always go hand-in-hand. It is very clear that what Cain experienced was temporary insanity, which is an extremely effective defense. That has not even been brought up. So is there a nuance that I don't know about? My understanding to insanity was that that is a federal law, but this isn't being tested by the feds. This is being tried by the state. Is there a nuance within the state of California where that doesn't apply? Because nobody's even brought it up, and it's extremely clear that that's exactly what happened. Not to mention, it'd be very easy to convince 12 people not smart enough to get out of jury duty that he was temporarily insane. But absent of that, you got a jam, right? You got a big jam. I had a hope. It was my own hope. It was my own fantasy. As somebody that wants to see this get rewound, that understands the mindset and the brief and does not at all believe that Cain is a threat to society and therefore doesn't need to be taken out of society. All right. It's a lot to disclose, right? Sticking up for a guy accused of some pretty bad stuff here, but that is how I feel. I feel he's a threat. I had a hope that somebody would get to the guy that was shot. You got three people in a car, Kane's firing bullets, one guy gets hit, I believe that it was in the leg. I'm going to tell the story as though it was in the leg. Ended up not being a very serious injury. That would suck. That would be terrible. But I had my own hope that somebody would get to him. Because don't forget, that guy is the father of the accused. The one, Mr. Touchy Feely, is the son of the guy that was hit. And I had my own fantasy. That you would sit down, you would explain a strategy to this guy. That guy would then come into court in Kane's defense. He would come in and say, please show this man grace. I am a father. I could only imagine. We would do anything to protect our children. Now, he's not doing that to serve Kane. The pool that this jury that will oversee Kane will be elected from the same pool in the same community that will oversee his son. And from a strategic standpoint, if somebody could have sat with him, I feel they could have explained to him, if you come in here and you beg grace to Cain for this action, you begin to lay the foundation for a misunderstanding that then begins to serve your own son. And I do think if somebody could have got to him and they could have loved him, I think that that's possible. It's unlikely. People generally don't see it that way. 
Everybody wants to be judged on their intent, but you judge everybody else on their actions. It's one of those things. You get hit in the leg, it's a bullet, it's a terrifying situation. You're probably pissed. Yeah, it would have taken a lot to convince people, but, but, but hold on. You are a father, and you understand what was said, and this is being followed up, and you would trust your own kid, and there would be a rage that you would experience. Can we at least get that far? Like, there, there was a way to start to level with the guy who's still not going to want to do it. But then you could bring in the other side, which is you're going to be in the same courtroom, or at least one very similar, with these same people, or at least those very similar, and you could begin to tell your story, not to mention, if you asked for grace upon the family who's accusing your son, they are likely to follow love retroposity. That's not how you say the word. Reposity? No. No. You know what I mean, though. That would have been a very effective strategy. I don't think anybody ever sat down with him. I don't think anybody did that. I think he got grabbed up by a DA. He went in, he read a letter with words that he, he wouldn't even know what they meant with legal meaning that he could only recite. And it seemed like a major miss. I don't know why Kane's team did not try to sit down and try to explain this. I don't know why they died. I don't know why they're not pursuing temporary insanity. I don't think they need the advice of Chael, but if you are going to go before a jury who one hour ago just sought in favor of the person they liked more, Johnny Depp, who had absolutely no constitutional foundation and won. It's an interesting thing. It's an interesting day. Unanimous decision. Johnny Depp. So now that I got that off my chest, let's get to what you actually came here for. Cage fighting. There's been lots of talk this week around George Mosbrough and Conor McGregor. And it's had me thinking who Masvidal should face in his next fight. I think Masvidal might be going down the wrong road. It's hard to say, and Masvidal's doing everything right. Now, here, here's what you've got to understand, okay? Masvidal did not win his last fight, and he did not spend one single moment in front of you weeping about it. He has never made the mistake that so many newer fighters do of reminding you of their shortcomings. Like fighters get so close to their careers and their little bubbles with their little circles and their social media that's all about them. It's a very common thing. She speaks of psychology, but it's a very common thing. And they get light years off of reality. They step out of the reality of who and where they are in the crisis. I see it all the time. But I will also see them down in the dumps and want to talk about it. So that's not like they're a little kid and somebody pats them on the back. So it's going, tomorrow's going to be a new day, Junior. They get so down in the dumps, they bring up defeats from the past. Why? We don't know. We simply don't know. George Moswell is the second biggest star in this sport. Tell me what his record is. Go ahead. Right now, just tell me what his record is. The record's a very common thing. It follows the guy absolutely everywhere he goes. It will be in every interview he does. It will be announced before every single fight. Just, tell me his record. We'll play that with somebody else. What is Tyson Fury's record? That's a major star. What was Mike Tyson's record? We don't know when you lost, man. It's, it's ancient history. The news cycle you've got from the day that you sign, you build up to a fight, then you've got fight week where it really gets ramped up. You then have the contest and you have two days. After Monday, the news cycle of what has just happened is gone. Come Tuesday, it's about what's next. 
But we forget, too, it blends right in. The biggest stars in this sport, Masvidal, McGregor, Diaz, all have one thing in common. They didn't win their last fight. I apologize. They all have two things in common. They did not win their last two fights. I apologize. They have three things in common. They did not win their last two fights, and they've never once reminded you. And it just doesn't matter. It just moves on. Now, I bring that to you because Masvidal is going for something big. He is calling some very big shots. He is going after McGregor, yes, but he took his McGregor, his focus off McGregor at least for a moment to start shifting it back to Nate Diaz. He's going after some very big things. Is he going in the wrong direction? We don't know. He's not doing anything wrong. He's doing his career exactly with what he should be doing. But let's just look, let's just take a good look real fast at Nate versus Masvidal. Boom. Well, yes, we want to see it. Yes, that's going to be a big fight. Okay. But before you tell me or before you predict a fight, you do have to look at it from the organization's standpoint and attempt to guess, is that something they want to sign off on? As great as that would be, as much, and you relive the BMF, all these, all these different things, where it looks like Nate is at and where Nate is going to go afterwards, it's a tremendous risk. It's a tremendous risk to put a huge star that you've got under contract with a guy who's going to leave. It's just a risk. It's one of those things. Be careful how you do that. And then what would even happen with a win? Like, where would George go from there? And I'm not sure that that's the capacity that he's going to be used in. I'm just, I'm not sold on that. I think it's one of the things that's getting in the way of Masvidal versus McGregor. I cannot think of a bigger fight. But that's going to be one night. Now you're doing chess. You're trying to guess as one of the, or you're playing checkers. as one of the great chess players going to come down and play checkers for one good night. It's a guess. But I think that that's what's slowing that down. I think that's even what's stopping it. If I was to predict something more... Now, I just discussed Masvidal. What Masvidal's doing, where he's going. And it's exactly right. Doing everything right. But nobody else within that division is going after Masvidal. And I don't know why. Is it just he's too rough of a guy? Is it just a flat-out respect thing? Or is it more of they think they'd look foolish and they don't think they could get the fight? Because in this particular situation, I believe that they're wrong. I believe that somebody that is still an up-and-comer and still a potential contender and still a very big threat to a veteran is still the most likely guy. As much as you may want to see Diaz versus Masvidal, I think you're more likely, this is a fight I'm predicting, I think that you are more likely to see Luque versus Masvidal. I think that's the path and the trajectory. I think that Masvidal versus Gilbert Burns, that is something where the winner could visibly and clearly move on, but so could whoever comes in second. It's one of those situations. As opposed to a night with McGregor, which is going to be absolutely awesome. You never know when Connor's last time is going to be. Hell, we don't even know when his next time is going to be. It's one of those things. Do you think that they're likely to sign off on it? It's it, it's it's an interesting spot, but I do think that it's everything's right by Masvidal. We'll see how it plays out. But I think everything's wrong by the other guys in the division. Why are they not attaching their names? It would put Masvidal in a very tough spot. He's taking this from the standpoint of, I'll take on anybody and I want to be busy. And I tell Hunter Campbell all the time, and I'll take on, these guys won't fight. He's taking that position. So if you offer to satisfy everything that he said publicly he's looking for, it puts him in a tough spot. If you offer to be the guy that will get in there with him, get in there with him quickly, 
turn this around, allow him to get back out, jump back on the horse, all the stuff that he's talking about. I don't know that it would be a huge miss. I don't love the idea of calling for things that are going to look silly and going to get dismissed. I do understand that he's a big star. If you're not, how are you going to get on the dock with it? But I do think that if you observe the landscape of the sport, and particularly that division, if you are one of these hungry up-and-comers, I think Michael Chiesa is more likely to end up there with Masvidal than these massive fights of Connor or Diaz. But I'll never know. I'll never know if one of these guys that would love to be a feature bout or a main event doesn't come out here and start calling him out. It is a little bit surprising that nobody is calling out a guy in the division who's very hungry, is telling anybody that, listen, I'm ready to go, oh my, I don't have an opponent. Okay, great. I heard everything that you had to say. I'm going to satisfy all of those things, sign the contract, or what now? Puts him in an interesting spot. He's good. He could deal with it. But the other side of the coin is he might not want to. I do think that you guys underrate, uh, underestimate George Mosvidal. I'm talking directly to you, you younger, hungry guys within the division. I think that you think that he will take his ball and go home like so many other stars. Don't forget, not all the stars do that. Some of the stars get up in that loft and they leave the ladder down. Go see Tony Ferguson. Charles Oliveira does not exist right now. Not on the level that you know him. Not with the notoriety that you know him. Not with a championship belt that you know him if it's not for Tony Ferguson. And I submit for you, I think Masvidal is the same guy. I think a lot of you aren't calling him out because you think you're going to get dismissed because you're not as big of a star as he is. A lot of times you'd be true. I think you got the wrong guy here. I think if some of you younger guys that want an opportunity, see something there that you can like, think you'd be a, a good co-star with him, I think you'd be very well served to test those waters and go challenge it. On Wednesday's show, I told you about a kid named Jordan Levitt. They call him the Monkey King. He's going to be facing Patty the Batty in July. And coming up next, I'm going to tell you why I'm really high on Jordan. That's in a moment, but first, a word about today's sponsor. The folks at BioOptimizers have done it again. They have just released their new improved formula for magnesium breakthrough, the most powerful magnesium supplement on the market today. Guys, do you suffer from poor sleep? You ever have low energy? How about high stress? Magnesium deficiency might be the root of your issues. This new fourth generation formula of magnesium breakthrough is now even more potent and effective at reducing stress, improving sleep, and boosting energy levels. If you've already taken magnesium breakthrough, you'll want to try the new formula as soon as you can because it now includes cofactors like B6 and manganese that help with the absorption of magnesium. And if you've never tried Magnesium Breakthrough before, now is the perfect time and here's why. First, magnesium is involved in 80% of the body's metabolic reactions. And second, about 75% of people are not getting enough magnesium. In every bottle of Magnesium Breakthrough, you're going to get seven unique forms of organic full-spectrum magnesium, which can dramatically improve your health. It can help with your sleep, 
It can make it longer. It can make your sleep deeper. It will reduce stress levels and help you feel calm. And it's going to give you an abundant all-day energy. I can tell you from firsthand experience, it's a great way to go through life. And because it supports mental wellness, Magnesium Breakthrough can help you to finally feel like yourself again. Simply take two capsules before bed and you will be amazed at the improvements in your mood and energy levels and at how much more rested you feel when you wake up. For an exclusive offer for my listeners only, magbreakthrough.com slash chael. Use the promo code chael during checkout. That's going to save you 10% and get you free shipping. Oh, and one last thing. If you want your loved ones to be healthier, consider giving them the gift of Magnesium Breakthrough for Father's Day or even as a spring birthday. Again, the special link is magbreakthrough.com slash and use the code CHAIL during checkout. That's going to save you 10% and get you free shipping. Jordan Levitt has done a lot with me, and he's only had 72 hours to do it. I mean, I found out three days ago what a Jordan Levitt was. And I must tell you, I am very interested. I haven't even seen him fight yet. So this is the Monkey King. I made a piece. He was going to leave Patty unconscious, and then he was going to twerk on him, which was going to cause a riot. And it was it was just this, uh, this fun and interesting moment. And I don't know a single opponent of Patty the Batty. And I've watched his two fights in the UFC. And I'm not looking to be condescending, but it was, it was a one-man show. I'm speaking from the marketing standpoint. I'm sure they were very tough and, and, and nice guys, but they never did their end of it. They didn't have big enough names to captivate the media. They didn't get interviews. They didn't do interviews. They didn't understand social media. It's one of these things where it was just Patty and he was still doing really great business. So I bring in Jordan Levitt, which I don't think was meant to be anything different as an opponent than what I just described for Patty's previous opponents. I think it was just supposed to be a guy so we can advertise Patty, fight him at home, and get a whole bunch of interest. I think... But that's not what's happening. Jordan has made this extremely interesting, and he's got a very interesting demeanor. So I read an interview from him. I come and read it to you guys. It was the whole twerk business. Thought it was funny, and we move on with our life. Well, he then pops on Ariel's show yesterday. He's a very charismatic person. He's very likable. Like, he redid the whole, I'm going to cause a riot in London when I leave this guy unconscious and twerk on him. He did that whole routine again in a very pleasant way. You got to have like a certain charm and charisma that when I read the words, I assumed the effect. But when I watched it, he's a very different guy. So I go, look, he's 10 and one. He's 10 and one and he's grappling heavy. As a matter of fact, all of his wins have come by submission. That's a hard night out. You don't know anything else about a guy. You get 10 wins at 155 pounds spanning over to the Ultimate Fighting Championship, you're good. Like, that's a super hard weight class. You get 10 wins opposite only one loss. You're at a 90% victory rate, not to mention you're grappling heavy. I think that's a harder matchup. That's an opinion, but I think that's a harder matchup. I think Patty's very good on the feet, but when he gets to the ground, I think he's been a step ahead. So all of a sudden, this has just become an interesting match. That's really all I'm I'm attempting to share with you, but it's become interesting because of Levitt. Now, Patty's, Patty's PR media time has not been used to talk about his pending fight 
at home against the Monkey King, Jordan Levitt. It's been used. So apparently Patty likes to eat a lot. There was something here that I remember, though. After Patty's last fight, he had some level of media follow him around and document everything he ate for the next five days. And it was insane. And he tipped the scales at 200 pounds. He fought at 155, tips the scales at 200 pounds. So then all of a sudden he gets he gets his reputation that Patty's not disciplined, Patty's not focused, Patty, you know, yo-yo with the weight in the body. And that's a, a show that he doesn't have what it takes. I'm not really sure where all of those narratives came from. And I feel like any example that you give me within the sport, I've just been in it so long that I could counter you. You go left, I could go right, just on the basis of arguing. I mean, I will tell you, Clayton Hires, my coach, fully believed after a fight, you should do two things. Take a break, get fat. He wouldn't say take a break, rejuvenate, recover, spend time away from the gym. He would say, take a break, get fat. When you came back for the next training process, he wanted you to be over to where you could barely finish practice. Probably don't finish for a few days because you're too tired because you're too sluggish. Clayton firmly believed as you got the physicality back that would mentally trigger you of the process you've been on and the fact that you're ready. So it's really hard for me to say just because uh, Patty breaks bad for a couple weeks and he's got one of these metabolisms and he happens to retain that it directly ties into his career, shows some kind of lack of focus or, or, or motivation. I'd have a hard time doing that. And TJ Dillashaw weighed in. Now, I think when TJ Dillashaw, a world champion, I believe the current number one contender, I guess that's going to be disclosed to us soon, and a veteran in the sport, I believe when he gives advice and you're a younger new guy, it's meant for you to listen to. I think. So TJ made a comment on Patty. He made a comment on the weight. Talked about if he wants to be world champion, he's going to have to get this piece of his house in order. Patty got, he went nuts. Oh, he's calling him all sorts of names. Said TJ used to be fat, used to sell t-shirts with his fat face on it. I had to go look that up. I didn't know what he was referencing. Turns out that's true. TJ used to sell t-shirts with his fat face. I, I Okay. But it's going in a lot of different directions is all that I'm sharing with you, right? Whenever we have one of those wonderful hype trains and it gets derailed and they all get derailed, just a matter of when, they all get derailed. It generally is because they lose their focus for what's in front of them. I don't suggest for you that's what Patty's doing. I'm just making you aware that Jordan is fully focused on Patty. He's well aware of the task at hand going over dealing with a live audience that's going to be against him. He's he's fully understands it. And Patty's doing interviews about a t-shirt that TJ Dillashaw put out. It's one of those things if he if he loses interest. If he doesn't stay laser focused, all the young guys that get on a big roll and they see their name in lights, it all goes the same way, eventually. I don't predict for you this is where Patty's headed in the short term. I'm just bringing it to your attention. Just bring it to your attention that it is interesting. One half of the fight is focused on the opponent, according to the media rounds he's doing. The other half, talking about an insult that he was given through a media outlet from a guy, two weight classes down. All right, doesn't matter. You decide. You decide, let's keep an eye on. Staying in the lightweight division, Dustin Poirier came out recently and said he really wants to fight. Now, Michael Chandler is a guy that's been linked to Poirier, and things are starting to play out on social media between these two. Well, Poirier's pissed. Now, I got to tell you, this is really interesting to me. 
Dustin Poirier, first off, is a very calm guy. He's a very nice guy. He's very hard to work up guy. Can you guys agree with that? When's the last time Dustin Poirier has been worked up? Think about championship matches. Think about sold-out arenas. Think about pay-per-views on his back. You ever seen Dustin Poirier get mad? You, you might have a time. But and then we can we can even lessen mad. We can break it up to annoyed. We can break it up to bothered. We can break it up to hot under the collar. All right. So here's what happened. Michael Chandler did not insult him. That's what happened. Michael Chandler got his big win over Tony Ferguson. Michael Chandler did a killer promo, but he spread the butter around. He spread the anger in four different directions. I mean, he covered a Connor fight. He talked about Oliveira. He might have even gone after Gaethje. I can't fully remember. This was a few weeks ago. But you guys remember, he called out, I think, four guys. Four meaningful fights. He did not call out Poirier. I really think that that's interesting. Like, Poirier is pissed off that Poirier wasn't called out. Michael Chandler insulted, essentially. You say you're going to fight a guy. You say you're going to beat him up. It goes in the category of insult. Even though it was in good sportsmanship and fun and appropriate, it goes into that category, right? Michael Chandler did not insult Dustin Poirier, which insulted Dustin Poirier. There was a Seinfeld. It's a classic moment, but Kramer runs into a guy. And the guy used to go on dates with Elaine. So as Kramer's leaving, just for a socially not knowing what to say type moment, he goes, hey, by the way, Elaine says hello. So Kramer then happens to tell Elaine, oh yeah, I told I told John that you said hello. And Elaine's, but I didn't say hello. I don't want him thinking I'm out saying hello. So Elaine goes and finds the guy. The guy was like an author doing a book signing. She waits in line with everybody else, gets to the front of it and says, hey, I, I don't actually want a book sign. I wanted you to know I did not say hello. Kramer told you that, but I, I did not say hello. And the guy simply explains to Elaine, you coming here to tell me you didn't say hello is a much bigger gesture than had you said, tell him I said hello. Simple, but accurate and kind of happening right now. Dustin Poirier, who's extremely hard to get mad, wants to fight. He is fighting mad. He is angry and disrespected that he was not insulted. I mean, but you see where that gets interesting? And then, but you get Poirier's point, as funny as it sounds the way that I'm saying it, Poirier goes, hey, he did not say my name because I'm not a meaningful fighter. I I don't fulfill what he would like to do with something big or moving his way up the ladder. He left me out of it because I'll whip his ass. Great, that's interesting. And they went back to Chandler. This might've been Chandler's finest work in all fairness. Like Chandler's getting really good at entertaining us outside of the punches and kicks. This might have been Chandler's finest work, where Chandler said, you know, I didn't call him out, so I forgot about him. And I don't know that Chandler was looking to be salacious, condescending, dismissive. I I don't know. But it was a really great line. I mean, really, truly, by virtue of Chandler not calling out Poirier... There's a lot of media hype and interest around Chandler versus Poirier. I mean, I don't know what else to tell you. There's a number of things that you could do with Dustin. There's a number of things that you could do with Michael Chandler. Those guys are in a really good spot right now. 
But there's nothing bigger in this exact moment than that. You go out and do a Google search, put a time frame on it of seven days, you're not going to see Chandler's name associated with anybody more than Poirier and vice versa for Poirier to Chandler. It's one of these things. Poirier's upset that Michael Chandler insulted a division and didn't insult him. Moving away from 155 pounds, let's focus on the middleweights. And a guy we haven't talked about much recently, Robert Whitaker. Robert Whitaker has got a fight coming up with Vittori. Awesome fight, by the way. Big fight, meaningful fight. Robert Whitaker said a win over Vittori puts him right back into a trilogy fight with Israel Adesanya. Now, you never want to take that away from a guy, right? Whatever goes up must come down. We all know that in life. But if you're ever on the come down, boy, it's hard. You're now not in a physical battle. You are in a mental battle. It's a really hard spot. And Whitaker is locked in, committed, and is going to reclimb that mountain. That's awesome. And whatever it is that drives a guy that's already been champion, Robert Whitaker can never within this sport exceed what he's already done. He can only hope to return. Now, that is a mental toughness. That is a commitment and dedication. I really respect Robert Whitaker. Even prior to this, but I do look at him differently right now. This, this is an absolute character drill. How you're going to do it, it's even going to get past a Vittori. Who knows? That's, that's not the point. That really isn't the point. The same way that we look differently at Frankie Edgar and Aldo who everything and every indicator that you have that's feasible says this isn't going to work, and they did it anyway. They changed their physiology. They're on the backside of 30. They got all sorts of rounds. I mean, everything about it says your time is done. They did it anyway. They fully committed. They sold themselves on something, and they stepped out there, and they tried. That's hard to do, and it's honorable. Whether you get there or not, it's honorable. Now, Whitaker is light years away from being correct. I, I don't I, I don't know if, if right, but if this is his motivation, man. You get behind it. And if he came to this conclusion on his own, it doesn't matter if it's wishful thinking, it doesn't matter what it is. The means justify the end justifies the means. So if this is what he needs to do to get up there, get in that gym, train at this point in his career. Go to press conferences that don't have the same stakes. Go to weigh-ins where he's not the main event. Go out and do competitions where all the focus is on him. I mean, it's a very tough spot. It's a very different spot. And he's going to go out there and do it with the absolute best of the world. Anyway, it's really good, but what do you do? What do you do? Who's going to be the one to tell him? Did he come to this conclusion on his own, or did somebody sit him down and tell him this within his team? If they did, was that a way of motivating to get him to do something, or do they actually believe it? I mean, it's a really tough spot. Really tough. Until Volkanovsky and Max, until that bell rings, we don't have a precedence in this sport to call for a trilogy fight when the first two didn't split. I mean, you can't do it. First time for everything. You might even be able to look a little bit closer at your notes and find an example where, as a matter of fact, one time it did happen. But Colby Covington is a clearer number one contender, if you will. 
He is a more bankable in terms of the media he can command and how hard he is going to work going into the fight to bring you attention and get you an ROI, and he can't get the fight. He's already done it twice. It's just it's one of those things. And I don't have any problem with where Whitaker's at. I would like to compliment him strongly. I am very impressed with him. Prior to this, and now I see how hard he's willing to work to see a dream come true. It's impressive. There's another conversation. I am surprised when you have a veteran who's been in the sport and been to the highest levels. If you've been behind the scenes and you don't see the strings, that surprises me. When I tell you there is nothing leaning in the direction of getting Robert Whitaker in there with Israel Adesanya, I do mean we're at zero. He's got a ranking. Somebody else gave that to him. He's got a ranking. He's earned it. They've got the ranking right. So let me take a bit. We're not at zero. We got one thing. He's ranked number one. The sport says, and the integrity of the sport says, that whoever's ranked number one fights the champion. Now that gets a little bit different in Whitaker's spot when you've already done it not once but twice. So how would he do it? I'm not sitting there just throwing water on a guy and then I don't have a suggestion. It's more where I'm surprised that Whitaker doesn't know this. That surprises me. That Whitaker's team and whoever told him this, they might believe it. But if they do believe it, why? why? How could they be light years away? If you want to fight Israel Adesanya, the answer is not now and never has been, go beat Marvin Vittori. Take Marvin out of it. Put anyone you want. Let's call him John Doe. The answer to get to Israel Adesanya is not to go out and to beat John Doe. It is to go to the media and build an interest in a fight between you and Izzy Adesanya. That is the way. And people don't want that to be true. They don't. They want to push back. I'm not here for what you want. I'm here to tell you how this sport works. And I'm here to tell you as a historian, not to mention the leading expert, you're never going to get a mind like mine, right? I sit down and give this for free, just hope that you buy some window sheet. I mean, in all fairness, to think of yourself as very lucky to have access to my dimensions, but also tell you as a historian of the sport every single time that what I just said happened, and you're going to show me zero times in the sport where your example happened. Where you get what you want because you beat somebody. What are you talking about? That isn't how it works. Do people want to see you do that fight or not? You're going to get put in a really tough spot. We're just going to rewind the tape and go, okay, we already did this fight. What did you do leading into that? When you were given this opportunity, which by uh, in all fairness is a huge responsibility, the weight of this is going to be on your shoulders because you're the ME. What did you do? Did you bust your ass? Did you get out there? Did you accept every call, every invitation, and then have the foresight, the sense that God gave geese to go out and find more on your own just to impress the people that are watching? Did you do any of those things? Then you don't deserve the fight. And if you try to refer back to resumes, well, I, I beat John Doe. Get ready to beat John Doe. You're not going to be able to find a time in the sport where that's the way that it works, particularly when the champion Adesanya not only is all already booked, he might not even win. All fairness, he might not even be the champion. Have you hedged your bet? Did you spread a little bit of butter over there to Cannoneer? Because not one eighty-five pounder has done that yet. Not one eighty-five pounder has taken the risk of I'm going to go after Cannoneer. I'm going to line all my ships to Cannoneer. If he becomes champion, all my dreams are going to come true. Not one of them's taken that risk, and they likely won't. 
But in addition, I mean, talk about being a Sandhagen to your own damn division. Eugene Berryman, who has a very large influence in say, he's the head coach of Israel Adesanya, came out and said Strickland. Strickland is next. He's got to beat Piera. And by the way, Piera is a very great fight for Adesanya because it gives a little parity. It gives a little bit of fresh blood. You've got the backstory. They competed once before. I mean, it, it just works. He's undefeated. Once he got five fights now, he comes through Strickland. who's on this huge win streak. It's going to be enough. If you want to make the argument, if you want to put him in, it's definitely going to be enough. But if you're looking for parity and fresh blood, you've only got so many guys to go to. It's going to be one of them. It doesn't mean you can't just wait a little bit longer and go out there and do that. But if you're going to wait a little bit longer and you think that ever beating this person, whoever that is, and whatever placement of the card that is, that isn't how you get the fight. You build an interest in the fight. The end. You build an interest in the fight. You then go and do whatever you're asked to do in the meanwhile. And by the way, you win. So all of you purists out there, there is definitely a piece of this pie that does go to you. Yeah, you got to win, for sure. You got to win to keep that rank. You got to win to keep that placement on the card. You got to win to go and get those interviews, maintain that platform to get your message out, which apparently in this case has to do with Israel Adesanya. And there's been absolutely no talk or chatter. And I don't know how a guy that has been behind the scenes for this long does not know where the strings are pulled. I respect it. This isn't a scolding session. Say, hey, Robert, you're paying somebody 10%. They're not giving you good advice. I'm going to give it to you for absolutely nothing. I might not say it as nice as they do, but I'll get it right. I'll get it right every single time. If you want to fight Israel Adesanya, make us want to see you versus Adesanya. So transitioning over to heavyweight, the grand experiment that is John Jones at heavyweight has a lot of us speculating on how he's actually going to look when he eventually makes his debut. And this week, one very prominent voice weighed in. Henry Cejudo was talking about John Jones. He was talking about the only way to beat John Jones. Now, before I even go any further, that was very interesting considering Cejudo is now a coach for John Jones. And I have to word it that way. I have to word it a coach. I don't know if he's the coach. I don't know that John's decided that. You know, like where John actually buckles down and does training camp. I don't know that that's going to be in Arizona, but I don't know that it's not. Henry is a coach. And you don't usually hear that. You don't usually hear how to beat my athlete. But Henry is... He didn't break any rules. He didn't go into any great details. A very broad stroke. And he said, you got to do it with power. It's the only way to beat him. Henry talked about you. You've got to step in. You've got to be willing to take that risk. Talked about this is why the Francis matchup is so intriguing. But if Henry was to go a little bit further, we all agree with him, right? You're going to have to put him down. And we haven't seen that. And before you think, well, no worry, you could submit him. I don't know. Is that really one that, that that you'd bet on? I mean, if you look at what John has been willing to take, use myself, he, he had a, a bone sticking out of his body and did not want to stop. Back up, he had Vitor Belfort, his arm was done. Nobody has not tapped in the history of the UFC that was that deep into an armbar. 
That's a close statement. That's a very close statement. There could have been some equals, right? Like Carlos Condit against George St. Pierre. Like there could have been some equals, but the point that I'm getting, do you really think John's going to tap? Based on what? So it does, it does leave you, even though Henry's a little bit captain obvious, it does leave you with, you're going to have to put him down. Can you? I mean, the same way as I'm telling you, I'm not convinced he's going to tap. I'm not convinced you're going to out-tough him. Which was a major belief in the sport for a major period of time. And maybe I'm, just, again, just inserting my brief experience with him. I thought I could out-tough him. Because he was so good. Guys that are so good, you only have to be better than everybody or tougher than everybody. You don't have to be bold. And sometimes you are... Jordan Burroughs. Sometimes you are John Jones. I mean, it is once in a lifetime, not just in a generation. But sometimes you run into a guy that's bold. We didn't know that about John at that point. He was really good. He has never lost a round. He has never lost a minute. He has never been in trouble. He had never been taken down. Do some of these things to him. See how tough this guy is. Let's see how bad that he wants it. And then his toe comes through his skin. And he doesn't care. I mean, it's one of those things. You learn as you go. So the idea that you can put him down, I, I hear you on that. But we're coming to that idea because it's the one thing that we haven't seen. What piece of evidence? Like, I'm submitting for you the Vitor Belfort armbar that didn't do the trick. I'm submitting for you an exposed bone that didn't do the trick. So... What is it we've seen within John striking that shows you there's a punch out there that could put him down? Like if guys were landing shots and, you know, the deer legs and we've seen all of this or even knocking him down and it was tough, oh, but he didn't quite finish him. Have we seen anything like that? Have we ever seen a punch that he couldn't take? So now we're just guessing that in a different weight class with a much harder punch, I agree to it too. I agree. That's what it's going to have to take. But does somebody have that? It's an interesting question. It really is. Like this whole John Jones at heavyweight has created an optimism for the haters, but a discussion for all. A mystery, if you will. How long can John run on that? That's going to, that's part of it. Does John have three fights that he could do at heavyweight? Does he have three really big fights? And you got to understand, when I say that, don't just throw me three opponents. We're, of course, compared, everything's comparative in life. Does he have three fights at heavyweight that are bigger, that are more enticing than he would have had at light heavyweight had he stuck around? It's an interesting claim by Henry. I definitely agree. I definitely do agree. You will have to stop the man. I, I agree with that. And there's not anybody that we've seen that's better. More dynamic, more fundamentals, more technically sound. So it's got to be something else. Let's go with the power. But have we ever seen a shot or a punch? Have we ever seen him susceptible? Some guys do that. You remember Floyd Mayweather, as great as he was, but he ate some left hands. It's a very small critique. And over the body of his career, it ended up not making any bit of difference. But you at least had that going into fights. Well, you know, he's fighting a southpaw. Last time he fought a southpaw, you know, he, he took he took a few real hard lefts, and this guy's a power punch. You, you had some of these beliefs. Is there anything within John Jones's stand-up and his skills where you see as a way, well, you know, but 
a lot of weight on that lead leg. We see that. Conor McGregor, great striker. That commentary's out there, whether you want to agree with it or not. He puts too much weight on his lead leg and come out there, you can take some chops at. To close out today's show, the UFC is back this weekend with a showdown in the heavyweight division. Allow me to tell you how I think it's going to go down. My official prediction for Volkov versus Rosenstrike. Rosenstrike. This is a great fight, though, guys. I must tell you, this is a really, this is a fun one. And you got to understand on Volkov. Okay, if you're not terribly familiar with him, you're going to be misled. This is one of the guys that if you go look up his record, you're going to be misled. Volkov does not have chin issues. Volkov does not have issues with strikers. He doesn't. That's not true. He plays a damn risky game. I mean, he's Cody Garbrandt out there. He plays a No, he's not Cody Garbrandt. Cody Garbrandt chooses to do that. He doesn't have. A, he has another skill set to go to. Volkov's a kickboxer. Volkov's got incredible length. He's got great attributes. He's got a ton of experience. He's a very calm and stoic guy. You could trust him in big moments. You could trust him in main events. You could trust him to perform. Volkov checks a lot of boxes, man. Volkov is a very, very talented guy. Now, he plays a risky game. If you're out there and you're kickboxing within the heavyweight division with four-ounce gloves on, it's a problem. If anybody hits you in the face, if a wrestler hits you in the face, it's a problem. I'm taking Rosenstrike because I'm aware of the game, I'm aware of the history of Volkov, and Rosenstrike is the best kickboxer, the most talented kickboxer, I think that Volkov's ever been there with, nobody would disagree with me if I just said top three. Rosenstrike, I believe, I believe his kickboxing record was 27-3. and three. We had a few guys come over all at the same time, like we had Surreal Gone come over, and Adesanya had beat them by a couple of years, but then uh, Pierre was getting signed, and... So I get some of those guys, it could have been 29-2. and two. You get the point, and damn good. They are going to go out and kickbox with each other, and neither one of them has a choice. Like, Rosenstrike doesn't have a big takedown that he's been waiting to break out, and the same thing goes with Volkov. They're going to trade, and Volkov is likely to land. But he's a volume puncher, right? He chops away at you, boom, boom, boom. He chops away, he sees that opening, he might step in and finish it here or there. Otherwise, he's going to chop away, and Rosenstrike's the other way. He's going to take a couple of shots until he gets your timing down. George Foreman used to fight this way. Take two or three to step in and get you one time. And Rosenstrike is that guy. I only met Rosenstrike one time, but I will tell you, I was impressed. He's an impressive specimen. He's 260 pounds the right way. I spoke with his coach. His coach and I had a quick conversation, but to give you the backstory on it, it had to do with Stipe, who was the sitting champion at the time of our conversation. And Stipe was losing weight. You guys remember when, T when Stipe was in the 40s and all of a sudden he's just north of the 20s? And Rosenstreich's coach said, man, I don't agree with it. I'm doing the opposite. I got a big boy right here. I'm trying to get him bigger. I got him eating. I got him lifting. All right. But my takeaway, and I'm here to share it with you if you don't know it already, is power. He's power. Not hiding from it, not running from it. This is who I am. And I think that, that Rosenstreich is going to be given his opportunity. He's going to have to go through some fire. Volkov's a pain in the ass. But I think you likely are to be treated to a real stand-up battle. And I think it's going to be a more technical battle than a lot of you are used to. I don't know how much I believe the phenomenon or have ever believed the phenomenon that you just want to see two people stand and bang. I know that that has lived on 
And the days of I want to just see somebody taken down and held there has never had it shine within our sport. I do understand that. But I also understand that the biggest star in the history of our sport is named George St. Pierre, who never stand and bang. Like, I mean, it's one of those things. Another massive anomaly within our sport is named Brock Lesnar, who never stood and banged. So I don't know how much I really believe that that's what you want to see. But the narrative's out there. Many of you insist it's what you want to see. I'm just here to tell you, you're going to see it. These two guys are going to go on banks. It's going to be a little bit more technical. A little bit more technical from Volkov's standpoint. It's going to be a little bit more measured and power-based from Rosenstrike. Rosenstrike gets to him. My prediction's true. Rosenstrike wins. That's where I'm hanging my hat. Rosenstrike doesn't get to him. You're going to have a long, drawn-out night. And you're going to be in a lot of pain if you had to go 25 minutes on your feet with Volkov. All right, guys. That's it for today's program. Thank you for listening. And I want to remind you, I'm going to have three episodes next week, Wednesday, Friday. But we're also going to do a special Sunday edition, which will be my immediate reaction to UFC 275. I'm now off for the weekend, and I hope you enjoy yours. Until next Wednesday, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.